Hi, I'm Jason Hennessy. As a kid, I've always been curious, and maybe with my head in the clouds. But being hopelessly distracted and curious has actually served me well and led me to do a lot of different things with my life. I've served my country in the United States Air Force, worked as a radio personality in Las Vegas, and I've started a few companies and sold a couple too. And now in my 40s, my curiosity has led me here to Hennessy Studios, where I'll talk with some of today's most authentic and creative minds to learn what's built them up and what's broken them down. So let's all get curious together. This is the Jason Hennessy Podcast. Today's an exciting day. I'm sitting down and talking to someone who I hope can call a new friend by the end of this episode, David Matthew Brown. David is a published author, a world-renowned speaker, a teacher, a counselor, a spiritualist, and a man who self-proclaims died and then was reborn. He's had a successful podcast where he interviewed some 600 people. He's a single dad and a soccer dad at that. And he was once up for one of the biggest acting roles in the history of cinema as far as fantasy genre is concerned. He's here with me today in Hennessy Studios in North Hollywood on the Television Academy campus. David, thanks so much for being here. Do you go by David Matthew Brown? Uh, you could just call me David. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about who you are, like as a kid. Like, what was that like? It was an experience, probably for my folks. My parents were blue collar. My dad was a police officer. So that was kind of, if you can see that situation, right? He ruled like his his way or no way. My mom worked at Kaiser and I was a complete introvert. So I read lots of books all the time. Mm-hmm. I go on my swing set, I would sing. Uh, and I played a lot of soccer. Played a lot of soccer and baseball and basketball. And I read books. And when I went from Catholic school to public school in fifth grade, that's when I got introduced to what bullies were. Because huh. uh, I would, the way that I would deflect things is I would tell lots of jokes to get out of situations. And in public school, you can't do that. So it's like fending for your life. So I learned some defensive skills. <laughs> like I, right. So then I, I left. My dad was uh, worried about me because I was really lanky. Right. Like I looked like howdy doody, man. I had red hair, teeth were everywhere, glasses, uh, love books. And then from there, I just went in uh, Miss Masters in eighth grade. I was totally quiet. I didn't say anything. This kid that I played basketball with, Brad uh, Jensen, got kicked out of the school play. So she came over to me and she's like, can you fill in to play this mobster? And I was like, unbelievable. What is she talking about? An introverted so, kid, right? right so asking this. I go up on stage and I start doing the part. And what I recognize over a couple of weeks is girls like guys that make them laugh. So I was like, oh my gosh, I think I found a way in which I was getting some attention. So that led me into acting. And in high school, at Ignatia Valley High School, I just soared. And I think it was a way, and if I'm going to be honest about that situation, getting into acting, because I know that we are in an actory town here. I, I did it because I think one of the reasons why I really loved it was for the first time in my life, no one could cut my my voice off. You can be heard. Right. I could do whatever I damn well pleased on that stage. Or later on, as I got into like 
you know, television and commercials and film. I could do anything that I wanted to do and people loved it or they didn't like it, but it didn't bother me because I was expressing myself. Then I would get off stage and I'd be quiet again. Hmm. complete introvert but i won all kinds of of awards was in all kinds of newspapers in san francisco as a young kid people thought that i was going to come down here and that's what i was going to do um so yeah in a nutshell that's pretty much it so when i got down to cal state long beach my first week of school um i got in the the master scene class i booked a main stage show and a one act and then an agent saw me so within like less than a year, I was up here auditioning and all my teachers were like, no, 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 you should finish school. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, this is like too good. Like, Wow. So we have a connection there. Um, mm-hmm. So I've got, that's the whole reason I'm out here oh, is wow. my son. Yep. Wow. So I've got a, uh, he's 17. He just turned 17. His name's Zach. When he was a kid, like eight, he would watch the show Walking Dead. Oh, wow. Right. And he watched other TV and he always say like, I want to be on TV. I want to be on TV. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I want to be an astronaut, you know, like, sure. You (laughs) You know, and then uh, we got a chance to go to this event. It was called the Walker Stalker Conference. And it's where you can kind of meet the cast of the show Walking Dead. And so we were living in Georgia at the time. And uh, one of the main characters, Carl, I'm not sure if you ever watched the show, but he's from like a little area called Woodstock, Georgia. Whoa. And so we went up to him at this event and and my wife started asking him, how did you get into acting? You know, and he's like, oh, well, go ask my mom. She's right there. And you know, as well as I do, as the parents are kind of, you know, leading the charge for the most part for the kids at that age. And so one thing led to another. She she was so nice. She's like, well, you got to get headshots. And that was it. And that like changed the whole dynamic of our world. And so from there, he got signed with uh, the People Store in in Atlanta. And so next thing you know, our paths led us here. I sold my company. We took a leap. You only have one shot at being like a good parents. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we fully got behind uh, my son and his dreams. And now we're just living vicariously through them. Wow. Yeah. What a crazy journey. So I say that. So did it sounds like you had parents that supported your, you with this acting. Uh, I don't know if they like my parents wanted me to go to college. OK. Um, I did not want to go to college. They did not, I think, trust kind of the process of it until I started booking Mm-hmm. Right when that happened, like then, of course, everybody jumps on board like, oh, I I saw it. I, I've always seen it. So from my parents, I think growing up Catholic, right, like they their mindset is a, a little bit different, mm-hmm. perhaps. I didn't have anybody in my family that was creative or acting or writing or directing mm-hmm. or producing or all that stuff, because I'm sure just like. You know, who's your son? Yeah. Right. I'm sure that he's going to get into all those things because that's what happened to me in high school was all of a sudden I I just had this mindset like, well, I'll just produce it. Mm -hmm. I'll produce it, direct it, star in it. So that's what I did because I like Kenneth Branagh at the time and that's what he was doing. And I was like, if he can do it, I can do it. Right. Hmm. Like I just need one person to know that it's possible. But then as you start to move through it, uh, because I was... Lord have mercy. I was probably like 50 pounds more than I am now. And so I was up for Lord of the Rings, the part of Sam, and mm-hmm. they wanted no names. And then after several callbacks, the guy that played Sam, he mm-hmm. wanted that part. Right. Mm-hmm. And so at the time I was up for Band of the Brothers, ER, uh, Lord of the Rings, and none of them worked out. 
And so that was my first kind of, and so I think it's great that you're supporting your son because those three things, you know, your mind just races. You're like, oh my God, I'm on the brink of something crazy right now. Right. Yeah. And none of them worked out. So I didn't have um, that inner kind of guidance that I have now or inner support. And mm -hmm. I didn't have the outer support mm -hmm. because as you move forward, your friends are, it, it's so weird being out here when you're auditioning because they support you, but not really. Right, because they want to get it too. Mm -hmm. And so you do have supportive people as long as you're not doing it. We're going to break the ice a little bit here. We have a, a game and then we're going to get uh, into more of your story here. So have you ever played the game Never Have I Ever? Uh-uh. <laughs> never Have I Ever. So no, I've never played this game. What do I do? All right. So here's the rules. So uh, there's 10 questions each. You get three passes and the first person to uh, get seven honest answers wins the game. Okay. So I will go first here. Forgotten my wedding anniversary. Uh, that is a negative. My wife and I got married after knowing each other for a month and a half. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. Yes. We've been married 22 years Whoa. and we went down. I, it was April Fool's Day and I was kind of half joking and we were in, I was in the Air Force and I said, let's go get married. And we ended up doing it. We didn't tell anybody. And so it was a month and a half. And, uh, and we, like I said, we've been married for uh, 22 years and that was April 1st. So Whoa. it's very hard to forget my wedding What did your family say? You know, we were too chicken shit to tell them. Um, we were young and we just did it. And, uh, you know, later on, they were a little upset, you know, but they supported us later. Yeah. We gave them beautiful grandbabies and nice. later on. But yeah, that was, uh, I don't know if that was a regret in my life. I think it was um, not getting married, but not asking for my wife's father's permission. I think that's the bigger regret right. there. Yeah. So I've been divorced for 11 years, but when I did um, propose, I did ask her dad and he's in Canada. Uh -huh. And so he wanted me to give him two sheep for his daughter. He was joking, right? And I was like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> yeah. All right. So I read the top card. Yeah, go for Here it. Here we go. Drank booze before 10 a.m. I absolutely have. I absolutely have when I was at Long Beach State and everybody in my dorm was San Francisco 49er fans. Okay. And they had a they had a 10 o'clock game in the morning and we drove, all drove down to this local pub who showed all the football games and we got a pitcher of beer at like 9.45 and I was like, what am I doing in my life? <laughs> Literally, like I was like, what am I doing? So yes. Yeah, you and every other college student, <laughs> right? <laughs> Don't tell my folks. Been skinny dipping. I don't think I've ever done that. And I think I would remember it if I've uh, done the skinny dipping thing. So I'm going to have to say no on that one. I don't think I've done that either. I mean, if I had a GQ body, maybe back then. <laughs> <laughs> proud of it. Okay, this one says, wiped my ass with leaves. 1,000%. <laughs> so my friend had a bachelor party, David Denman, and you would know him. He was on The Office. Okay. He played, he worked downstairs and his fiance was upstairs. Mm -hmm. And so for his wedding, he always wanted to go to Yosemite and climb Half Dome. At the last minute, four guys left. Right? Mm. It was just me and him for eight days. And so, yes, in the woods, I did. I bet you weren't thinking that you're going to be talking about. I did that not think that it would come up right now. Today. <laughs> <laughs> Been caught having sex in a public place. I will pass on that one. 
Nice. <laughs> Clog an acquaintance's toilet. Oh my God. That's like the dreaded thing. I don't want to say no, but mm-hmm. I don't really remember if that happened, which yeah. might not be good either. That's like the worst thing ever, right? You're, in, like the worst. you're at a party. Oh. There's three people in line, right? <laughs> right. You're in there. You got to go. And the <laughs> toilet clogs up. Like, oh my God. That's like one of my worst fears. Woken up in a random parking lot. Uh, so, yes, I was 17 and uh, we would go out and buy Zimas. Do you remember Zimas? They were like a clear kind of alcohol. And so for whatever reason, you put like a Jolly Rancher in it. And when you're 17, you get drunk off of a couple of them, right? right. And uh, I ended up waking up in a berry bush at a bowling alley in Amityville, New York, where I grew up. Uh, so, yes, I have uh, woken up in a random berry bush in a parking lot. <laughs> there it is. Bought condoms from the dollar store. I did not or have not. Who would trust this? I know. I, I've never done that. I didn't even know they had condoms. <laughs> they might not. Um, tried to hide something from hotel housekeeping. Oh, absolutely. It's like... It's the same thing as like when you go to the beach and you hide your wallet in your sneaker, yeah. thinking that nobody will ever look <laughs> ever in look. the sneaker because yeah. that is such a secure place at the beach, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've done that before, you know, like hiding like a watch, like in a shoe or some socks so that they, they won't find my expensive watch. Asked, how many kids do you want on a first date? I have never done that. But I will say that my uncle one time was at a bar. And he said this woman, when are you due? Ooh. She was not due. She was not pregnant. And you can't take that back. <laughs> you can't take it back. Right? Yeah. You, How awful. When like, in what doubt, are you doing? Don't ask, right? Yeah. But like she's going to sit at the bar? No. I mean, maybe somebody would, right? At the bar, nonetheless. Pregnant. Right. Lied to my friends who I voted for. Oh, yes. I've done that before. I'm sure everybody has. <laughs> Why spark the negative energy, right? Um, so, yes, I've I've lied to my friends before. Especially now, right? It's so, so weird. It, it sure is. Made a dangerous turn on the road because Waze told me to. Uh, 1,000%. <laughs> I think we all have, right? Yeah. And ways will take us through random neighborhoods oh, now. It's awful. And yeah, yeah. And I don't like it when when you follow it and it takes you to the street and there's no light. Mm-hmm. Yep. Dated someone because they had money. Whoa. Hello. No, I mean where I grew up, it was definitely not a rich area, and I got married young, so uh, I don't think I ever had the chance to date somebody that had money. Left my credit card at a bar and couldn't remember which bar. I'll pass on that. I'll pass. Shave my private parts into a weird shape. Definitely no. Have never <laughs> done that. Before. I like the beat before it. <laughs> Definitely no. Served a meal that gave people food poisoning. I'll pass. Shroomed. I did that one time. Actually, and I I was I was visiting a friend in college. He was going to Yukon in Connecticut. And uh, I don't remember. I just uh, it must not have been good, Um, but I don't do drugs. And and that was like 
peer pressure and right. I tried it and I think it just kind of made me a little high, like kind of like a drunk feeling, but it's so long ago that I can't even remember it. Right. That, but that's one of those things, right? Like I don't do drugs either, mm-hmm. but that might be the option, right? Like if you're, or ayahuasca, like if you're up in like some African mountain, I mean, sure. I don't know. I mean, right? can't say no. Jumped from the roof into a pool. I have never done that, but I've seen it on commercials and it looks fun. Yeah. I've got a balcony that overlooks my pool and my biggest fear is that my kids have a party and do that. Oh, it's here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. As a homeowner, that's the last thing you want is kids jumping from oh, your balcony into the pool, right? Owned my own bowling ball. Absolutely. Wow. Yes. I actually, when I was young, my, my family would bowl. So they'd go, I'd be at a bowling alley two nights a week because my grandma and my mom would bowl and I would Whoa. go down and play video games. And they had their own bowling ball? Oh, bowling shoes, their own locker. Yeah. So I had my own bowling ball and I would bowl. I was pretty good, you know, as a, as a 13, 14 year old kid. So. My last card. <laughs> Rock to Speedo. Okay. So here's the story. <laughs> I went to the World Cup with my daughter in Paris, France, two years ago to watch the women. And we were in Normandy. We were going to watch England against Norway. And it was hot. So we go to this, uh, like, rec center. But it, the rec center has pools everywhere. Like, they're lower, higher. They have a huge spa. So I walk in and, you know, take us in. I come out to the pool area and my bathing suit goes above my knees. And mm. I swear to God, the, the French guy, he goes, well, what the, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, what? And he goes, oh, you need to wear a Speedo. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he goes, uh, uh, rules. And he showed me the rules. And I was like, oh, I was, I was horrified. And my daughter is standing there. She's like in her swimsuit. And so I go, I'm going to be back in a second. <laughs> so they gave me the Speedo. And I came out and I looked at my daughter. I went, I swear to God, if you take a picture or you post this, I will I will drown you in this pool. Like, I was like, right? I jumped immediately in the pool and never, never left. Came never out. came out. No. I was, and there's guys with like big pot bellies with Speedos on. I'm sure it's natural in Europe. Yeah. But I'm all white. Like I'm giving people light. as I, You know, I'm everything's so like, people are like, oh my God, there's sun in here. No, it's just this man. What is he doing? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> That is an awesome story, and I hope that there are photos oh, yeah, my daughter uh, circulating yeah, yeah. the uh, whatever Snapchat or I wherever do. they are. Well, awesome! That was fun. I appreciate yeah. you playing along. So, your daughter. Let's talk about your daughter. So, how old? My daughter's thirteen. Okay, and she plays club soccer at a high level. Okay. She's the team captain of her team. She plays center fullback. So like she's all in, right? So now I'm just in that lifestyle of like crazy soccer parents and you're just traveling around and like she wants to play on the national team. She wants to play professional. She's she's really good. I played till I was 19, mm-hmm. but she's getting coached up by her coach is a college coach. Wow. Mine was Ray Walker, a construction worker who smoked. He had old hearing aids. Yeah. And he's smoking on the sides, coaching us. And I was like, I don't think you, this is right. But no <laughs> one's saying anything, right? Like, so, yeah, she's hardcore and, yeah, just taller than me. Okay. Like, it's crazy. So you're a soccer dad. I am a soccer dad, but I'm pretty, I'm not like, 
hardcore. You don't have the van with the sticker. No. no. Well, we were uh-uh. at a tournament. This is crazy. We were at the last tournament before they took like their three-week three hiatus. And they're playing this team and these two dads on the other team are dropping F-bombs hmm. out loud during the game. So all the parents on our team are scared. They don't want to say anything. So I had to go over there. I had to like say something. I was like, hey, these are 13-year-olds. They're not getting paid, right? And you're you're dropping F-bombs, right? Like I can't even imagine getting that point as a dad where your whole existence is dependent on if your son or daughter win a game. Yeah. Like that's totally beyond my realm. That's such a bad example. Right. Yeah. So your daughter's 13, but you said you got divorced 12 years ago? I got divorced 11 years ago. 11 years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Got it. So you've been a uh, a single dad, um, but you've you've dated on and off then? I haven't. I have a girlfriend now. We've been together for over three years and okay. she's got three daughters. Okay. So it's like being around. Four daughters. Got you know it. what I mean? Like, you're just like, no bathroom time for yeah, you, right? right? right. You're just yeah. like, okay, all right, here we go. What was it like being a single dad for for so long then? From my end, mm-hmm. dads don't get credit. That's how it felt. When you're just around your daughter and you're driving her every place, you're doing everything just like a mom would do, right? And then sometimes, like, I would have her for like three weeks, Right. And then I'd be like doing everything. Right. And so I just feel like sometimes dads get bad raps because of maybe some rotten apples sure. in our society. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, I, I love it. I mean, yeah. I love my daughter. I love being around her. I love watching her grow. I think like what I do now really helps her out. Like I gave the team, her team, a talk before their tournament. The coach wanted me to talk to them about having a winning mindset and sure. what that looks like and things that they can do before a game and get ready. When you have a child, as you know, and especially an athlete, mm-hmm. for me, it's not about winning or losing. It's about in the game, you could see her learning and growing. The and journey and not the destination. Absolutely. And it right. really is. And mm-hmm. so I watched this guy do like a TED Talk. He was a soccer coach. So he developed this thing. You probably heard of it. It's you just all you say to your child when they play a sport is, I love watching you play. That's all you say. So when she's done with practice, I just say, I love watching you play. Now, during the week, she may have questions or something may come up. But after the game, after practice, we just keep it simple. And I don't know if that just keeps encouraging her to go. Well, it's all the support, right? Sometimes it's just words of encouragement. All right. So I want to learn a little bit more about uh, hot yoga and how that changed <laughs> your you guys life. Did good research. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I want to know a little bit more about that. So when I was going through my divorce, it's a stressful situation for everybody. And so I saw this thing that said hot yoga. I think it was like 30 bucks for the whole month. So I was like, you know what? Why don't I do 30 straight days of hot yoga? And then I'm going to blog on it to keep me accountable. So I'm going to blog every day about what this experience is like for me and what I'm learning. So I did the 30 days and I was learning a lot about myself, like my mental health, my physical health, like just it was helping me with so much stuff. And then the lady that ran the studio was like, I think you could do 60 days. And I was like, I think you have lost your mind. (laughs) So I did 60. Then I did 90 days. And I was like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be here again, so I'll go for 100. So I went for 100. And I felt like that day one to day 100 was my Phoenix rising because by the time I got to like, I think day 45 or 50, my breath was taking over. 
So I was no longer in my mind where I was watching people willfully trying to do the post because they were concerned about what people thought about them. But I had done it like so consistently that my breath could care less about what you thought of me. And I realized how strong my breath was with the poses. And it just became an otherworldly experience where I was like, holy man, like this is exactly what they're trying to teach us and and talk about, right? Because mm. this is just my observation. I'm not saying this is true or false, just observation. When you go to yoga, a lot of people are angry. It's probably because it's squeezing, right? Your liver or whatever it's doing is sure. producing. I was like, I wonder why that is. And I was like, oh, because no one has the the heaven part. Mm-hmm. Everybody's concerned about the earth part. And the heaven part is the breath because when you breathe your breath in, it cools down the entire system. Mm. And when you breathe out, your breath is hot. So it lets out all that stuff. But if you don't have the prana cooling down that earth energy, then you're not balanced. So th- that's what that experience taught me because I was starting to come out totally balanced. But my point being is on day 101, I got in the room and I'm not even joking. I was like, holy crap, it's hot. And I went, I'm done. Hmm. For the first time, it was hot. Yeah. Because I bring some of my friends like, I don't know how you're doing this. This is too hot. And I was like, it's not hot. It's fine. How hot does it get in there? It's like 101. Oh, boy. But it's it's a different type of, because it's like they have air coming in. Okay. But what's great is it warms you up fast. So within like two minutes, you're already in it and you're sweating and the sweat's great and all that. Like there's a lot of benefits to it. I haven't done it since. Okay. So it was my healing moment to get through my divorce and rediscover who I was by getting comfortable in my body again and getting comfortable with who I am. Right? Yeah. You know, I've never done yoga ever in my life. Um, But people that I know swear by it. And so, um, but then again, I, I don't know if I've ever meditated ever in my life either, right? And I know there's so much power in, in that. Um, so that's that's something that in my 40s that I'm going to try to slow my brain down and start to do more brain and mind activities like that. For me, it's not so much about the meditation. It, like, I think what we're learning right now uh, more than anything is that we're learning how to reset and calm down our vagus nerve and the nervous system. Right. And the way that you do that is you do that with longer exhales. And that's pretty much what we need in our society now. Like if you were to breathe in for the count of four and then you breathe out for the count of eight, that longer exhale tells your nervous system that you're safe. And I think when we get in the mind, right, it's all fight or flight. So even if you don't meditate and you decide to just start to test out your breathing, that alone is significant because it changes all the rhythms and stuff. So this, uh, this 90 day, 101 day, I guess, rather, um, hot yoga, it inspired you to write a book. So what I did was I had written a book before called the book of light, the heart opening. And that was from meditation. Got it. And so my publisher of that book saw that I was doing this and she said, why don't you take your blogs and we can edit it into a book. So it wasn't as though I sat down and did a lot of writing. I just did a lot of like going over things to see what would fit. So if you do day one through day 90, um, which one of my friends did, 
it it does it is healing because you're going along with the same journey I went with, and it's all different things I use. Like I was just in a space of like, gosh, anything would <laughs> anything can be helpful. Any story could be helpful, right? Yeah. So I guess that's where I will start on my new journey. Yeah. I'll pick up your book. Absolutely. And what yeah. is it called? Um, 90 Days of Heat. Okay. <laughs> I like it. Sounds like a sex book. <laughs> 90 Days of Heat with David Brown. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, where you are now. Um, so uh, White Lion Counseling. Tell me a little bit more about that. So it started when I was, so I was a full, like I brought up earlier, I was a full-time actor out here in the Screen Actors Guild. That's all I did, which amazed people because you, like your son's going to realize this. You go to parties, people are like, what do you do? You're like, I'm an actor. They're like, okay, where do you work? Right? Like, are you waiting? No, no, I'm an actor. Okay, what have you done? So I was going through that whole experience. And I got to Century City Mall and they used to have an outdoor courtyard and my girlfriend, I met my girlfriend at the time. And then she was talking to me and I was eating this chicken Caesar salad and I swallowed a bone. And so the bone went this way and I thought it was a piece of meat. I don't know what I thought, but I swallowed it. It got stuck in my throat, like literally lodged. And so there's like an awareness that happens where normally when people are in like uh, their normal everyday experience and they're dealing with fear, um, it's not so clear. So that's when I knew I was in trouble because I got so ultra present because my air was going, like my air was clogged. And she came around, she started give me, trying to give me the Heimlich. And all I heard was, I'm not strong enough, I can't do this. And then everything went dark. And I couldn't hear anything any, anymore. And I was just in this, like, I got chills. And then I was like, just in this place that felt like a mother's womb. That, that's the only way I could describe the amount of love and peace that I felt with no body. I died probably around 10 minutes. And then when I came back, I entered my throat and my whole body filled up. And then I launched this thing out of me. And there's a crowd of people. And this grandma came running up to me and she was, I mean, literally red eyes and tears, hugged me. And then the guy that did it, this is the craziest part of the story, I thanked him. The fire department was there. They're checking out my throat. I go, hold on a second. Like, I want to talk to you or whatever. And then the fire department was done. And I looked over and he was in a dead sprint running that way. And he ran behind a building. I never saw him ever again. And at the moment, because my mind was constantly worried and anxious about acting work, right? All I thought about was, well, it's probably my guardian angel. He's probably just like, I can't believe he just swallowed a stew. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I had no idea who the guy was, right? So that gets you to where we are now, which is that because of that moment, I lost all my ambition to act. I lost all ambition for money. I lost all ambition to like strive. It was scary because you have to pay your bills. Sure. But I literally had no drive anymore. So I went and I taught a class for Eckhart Tolle out here in L.A., which had something like 75 people one night a week that would show up. Um, and then I went and got my certificate. What were you teaching? So he had a book called The Power of Now. Okay. And he needed teachers to teach it. And I resonated with that book after my experience. Hmm. So that's what I did. I, I was a teacher. And so many people came to that class and it was on donation. Hmm. And I was like, this is unbelievable. So then I went and got my certificate. It's called a, a practitioner. 
or like a spiritual practitioner, which is someone that is present with you as like, like almost like a pastor, I guess. Yeah. That brought me into like bereavement support. And so white lion was a moment where I started having these dreams and one of them was a white lion and a white lion came to me in a dream and it never left. So I was like, oh my God, white lion energy, like white lion counseling. This is what I, this is what I do. Such a fascinating story, how that led you to where, where you are. I've never experienced anything like that. So it reminds me of a, um, uh, an experience that uh, resonated in my life. So we have some friends in Georgia um, and they lost a, a three-year-old, I'm sorry, he was 10 years old wow. through a tragic accident. And for me, like that, that's my uncomfort zone. Like I can sit here and talk to you all day long and but life and business. But when somebody deals with like death, like that makes me so uncomfortable, right? Because there's nothing I could say or do to them that's going to make them feel better, right? And so, you know, for the listeners out there that might have the same kind of uncomfort that I have, like on the plane ride going to Georgia, I didn't like, I was so scared to see my friends because yeah. I didn't know what to say to them. Right. And so I just got there and I didn't say anything when I saw them and we just hugged and that's all I needed to say. So for those that, um, you know, that are uncomfortable with, you know, death, is there a better way when you're close with somebody and somebody close to them dies. So I like what you had to say. You were honest. Mm -hmm. It's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. And, but we're in our society, everybody wants to be comfortable. But where's the excitement? The excitement is embracing being uncomfortable. So when you're uncomfortable, that opens us up to listening, right? Most people like you know, um, especially when someone passes away, are trying to fix that other person so they feel better. But the best thing that I would do, the best advice is just listen. Mm -hmm. Because most people, it's uncomfortable for them too when they've lost somebody. They don't know what to do and experience all the things that are going on inside of you as you're doing that. Wow. I, I was watching a podcast uh, recently. Mike Tyson, of all people, were on the podcast. And, um, and the podcast host, I can't remember who it was, um, you know, ask him, how do you deal with death? And he's, he's like, it's, it's part of life. You know, I, I definitely, you know, grieved. But I look at it as I was just thankful for the time that I was able to spend. Wow. Right. That's deep from Mike Tyson, it's of powerful. all people. Right. It's the truth. Right? It is the truth. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And so death is just, a, I, I'm personally not afraid to die. My wife is deathly afraid to die. <laughs> what is it? What you resist persists? Mm -hmm. So that's, we have all this fear. We, f we have fear like a tiger is chasing us and there's no tiger. Yeah. That's what anxiety and worry and all that stuff is. People believe that there's somebody that's all. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Well, you got people that are depressed, right? Yeah. Which is a real state. Absolutely. Right? And, and it's because they're depressed about things that have happened. Yeah. And then you have people that anxious, right? That yeah. live in the future, right? Where, and then you, you miss out in the present. So depression, right? Is you depress the feeling. Mm -hmm. 
So you need to express that feeling. So that's why it's important that what we just talked about, like when someone passes away, that you just listen. Because as they start to talk more and more, they start to get that stuff out. Right? Mm -hmm. And that's healing for them. Right? Most of the time, yeah, depression depression's awful because everybody's experienced it in their own way, right? Like minor or major. And sometimes just listening to somebody sure. is a benefit. So speaking of depression and <laughs> you're like anxiety. I was reading your bio and this is depressing. No. <laughs> Actually the opposite. So there was a post, it was a a sign of like a cone. And it says Milky Way. And it says, to whoever stole my antidepressants, I hope you're happy. <laughs> All right. You had shared that. So what's your personal beliefs and thoughts about, you know, taking drugs to help with depression and anxiety and stuff? I think if it's helpful for you, definitely do it. Mm -hmm. Right. Whether I view that as right or wrong or whatever, it doesn't matter. So let me just preface that. Sure. But I honestly believe that doing work with breath work and teaching people about breathing, that that is a drug. Sure. It's a, it's a drug that is a benefit that people can use even if they are taking a drug. I just think that sometimes, like, we grip onto all these things is we don't think that we have the power to, to move through it, mm -hmm. right? Like, I've seen people start off with antidepressants, and then as they start to heal, they start to slowly let go of that thing, and then they get off of it, mm -hmm. right? So there is that possibility. Sure. But I also feel like when it comes to drugs or anything like shopping, like over shopping, drinking, like whatever all those vices, things so. are, mm -hmm. right? They're fine in moderation, but when they take over your life— because you don't want to look at your emotions or be with yourself, then that's a different topic. Sure. Right? Like a lot of people um, have a tough time being in their own body. Mm -hmm. Right? But it's people's own preference for if that's something that they want to do. I mean, some people would need it. Yeah. Sometimes it's just having an, an open mind to do things that are new, that are uncomfortable. And breathing exercises is definitely one of those things. Or like you had brought up, right? Like yoga or whatever. Mm -hmm. those, there's some alternative methods that people choose that help them. And sometimes it doesn't. For me, my worst, like I don't, like I said, I don't do drugs, right? Um, I don't take any medication. I'm probably clinically ADHD nice. and you know, <laughs> you work well with my girlfriend, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes my kids will, uh, you know, just mess with me at restaurants and put the ketchup bottle down as I go to the bathroom. And they know that the moment I get back, I'm going to be picking it up. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I think about it, like for me personally, like I, I have the same beliefs as you, if it, if it works for you, um, then that's all that matters. Right. But for me, I think, I think it would probably would have taken away my creative side mm -hmm. if I started to do that, right? Yep. You know, and I think if we, what if we medicated Elon Musk? Like, would we have, a, you know, the technology that he creates, right? Steve Jobs, you know, would we have an iPhone if, if we medicated, you know, who knows? I, I like what you just brought up because like I just brought up, my girlfriend is, has ADD, but she is so, her mind, like she's, it's so beautiful. It's so intelligent and mm -hmm. creative yeah. that she's able to do so many different things at once. 
Mm-hmm. And they all are amazing. All right. So I wanted to also talk about school. What's your thoughts about like modern day school system? Are they teaching the right things? Should are we are we working off an antiquated system? What's your beliefs there? So I feel like it is a system, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a belief system. And we negate the basics in that system. Like I teach at a daycare. And I teach mindfulness to two to six-year-olds. So mindfulness is the awareness of your emotions that are coming up, your breathing, your body, and an awareness of you. Okay. So am I aware of myself, right? Mm. So for example, one of them I call it an angry gorilla. So the gorilla gets upset at the playground. What do you do? Well, what we've taught them is that when you breathe in through your mouth, the breath is cool. Mm-hmm. When you breathe out, it's like fire. So when the gorilla comes, what do you do? Well, you breathe in and out, mm-hmm. right? So this two-year-old boy, Wally, stood up. And every time we bring it, the angry gorilla, he stands up and he starts breathing in and out. And then the gorilla goes away. Mm. So in our school system, we don't teach kids how to manage their emotions. We don't teach them how to manage their finances, mm-hmm. right? We don't teach them things that when they leave school, they're properly self-sufficient. Sure. Right. That they're sovereign beings, that they know how to manage themselves, that they take responsibility for themselves, that they they are accountable. Mm-hmm. Right. Instead, we put them in a system where they want everybody to be the same like workers. Yeah. It's like they're training worker bees, right or wrong. But, you know, follow your boss. You have an assignment. Do the assignment. Mm-hmm. And don't cheat. Yeah, don't cheat. No right? teamwork. Like, be right. honest. And then if you're honest, they'll still punish you. Mm-hmm. Right? So my daughter goes to a charter school. Now, her school drives me up the wall for the mere fact that, like, everybody wins. <laughs> or be nice. So at school, they want you to be nice. How does that feel compared to being authentic? My daughter's school system is teaching all these kids to be nice and everybody wins, which is not reality. That's not life. Like, my daughter learns on the soccer field, you show up with a winning attitude, you want to win the game, otherwise why would you be there? But there's no guarantee you're going to win. So for me, when we look at life, that's the life that we have right now, that it's not fair. Like, you could put everything in, whatever, and it's not going to turn out that way. Great. So in our school system, we need to teach them how do you manage that? I agree. Right? How do you manage failure? Because you need to fail to learn. Sure. You're not going to learn it by winning, right? So you need to make mistakes and be comfortable with making mistakes. And so that's what drives me up the wall Mm -hmm. because um, anybody can memorize stuff and do a test. Anybody can. Takes you, me a lot of work, but right? yeah, that's not but my that's what way we of do. learning, right? Yeah, yeah, but that's what we uh-huh. do. We memorize we do it. for a test just to make the test, and then we move on to something else. It's the exact same thing, just a different test. Yeah. So there's all these little tests to keep you busy throughout the year mm-hmm. to get you to the next grade. Sure. So if you play that game well, then you move up to like college, and then you move up to get a PhD, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But none of it means that you're smart. You're right. You know, if my daughter was to leave school. She's going to eighth grade now, right now. She used to leave school and was able to like manage her emotions, you know, um, 
know about finances, like how to invest and how to do different things. Sure. And, um, know the importance of like saving or the importance of what stocks are or 401ks. That I feel like that would really expand the individual. Sure. And that she would she would know I've got this. I can handle this. I think that's what happens, right? People graduate and they're like, I, I don't I don't know. I don't yeah. they have no basic needs. Yeah. That they're taught. So two things come to mind. Um, you know, I think school is valuable, right? You know, because it if you don't have school, you don't know how to write, you don't know sure. how to speak, right? You, you come across un uneducated publicly if you don't. And my coach, so I've got an executive coach. His name is Cameron Harold. Um, he did an amazing TED Talk about raising kids to be entrepreneurs. Wow. Right? Love it. Yeah. And so... That I saw that TED Talk like 10 years ago, and I'm like, when I grow a business and I can afford to hire him as my personal coach, like he's going to be my guy, right? Because it resonated with me. And so last year we brought him on as my coach, and I've got a friendship with him, personal oh, relationship. It's awesome, right? Yeah. right? The power of visualization, right? Yeah, I've yeah. seen it. I'm like, he's going to be my coach, right? In this TED Talk, he specifically talks about an example in high school where, you know, he was good at this. He was good at that. Right. But he sucked at French. Right. Because he grew up in Canada. And so what did the school system do? They're like, hey, parents, he's really not doing well in French. We need to get him tutors. Right. Right. So get the tutor. Tutor would come over, sit with him. And he still sucked at French. Right. He didn't like it. It wasn't like his passion. Right. But yeah, what yeah. he was really good at was public speaking. Right. So why didn't the school system, and this is his words, not mine, Instead of getting him tutors to teach him something that he didn't like, that he sucked at, why not take those same tutors and invest it into making him accelerate at the public speaking? Yeah. Right? Which he was way better at. And then he goes on to say, you know, like, as a society, we condition people to success is you grow up and be a doctor and be a lawyer, right? You know, but there's so many other roles that, you know, people can be and be defined as successful. Absolutely. That's the way I've always looked at life too. Cause I knew as an early age, I was going to be an entrepreneur. I was like selling blow pops out of my wow. backpack in like fifth grade. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. buy them, buying the juicy fruit gum, uh, from yeah. like Costco. Yeah. My mom would buy it for me for three bucks. And like, when you add up 25 cents, I would make $5. So I'd make wow. like, you know, so I've always had that, that mindset, but, um, I agree about the whole school system. On that, though, like with social media, right? And I think you are passionate about this, too. Like, does social media give our kids, condition them to have the wrong role models? 1,000%. There's nothing social about media, social media, mm -hmm. right? And you don't have to do It's like people that text you all the time and they don't want to talk. They just want to get their point out. And purposely put you to voicemail and text yeah, you yeah, back. Yeah, right? so yeah, yeah. So that you can't say anything back. It's the same mm. with social media, right? Like, mm -hmm. I'm going to get my point out. I don't care if you like it or not. And then now you have people that are like, if you comment or you disagree, then they don't like you. Then they're going to like push you away. And you're like, yeah, but that's not reality. Mm -hmm. Like reality is we're, we're a diverse society. You go all around the world. There's different cultures and different ways of viewing things and sitting with things. And that's mm -hmm. how we learn about each other. Well, I appreciate you uh, stopping down uh, and and being on the show. Um, for those that are listening, how could uh, they get in touch with you if they would like to? Uh, if you go to Instagram, you can go to White Lion Energy or at White Lion Energy. That's probably the best way. Yeah, all my work is done through referrals. Great. So, 
But you got one new follower. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, <laughs> That's, uh, there here it I is. Am. Here I am. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you uh, you coming in. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This has been the Jason Hennessy Podcast. This show has been produced by Whitney Welsh, engineered and edited by Josh Fisher, and recorded at Hennessy Studios. Please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. 